Hello, and welcome to week eight of our Origin series. My name is Gabe Perez. I'm the youth pastor here at First Perez OC. Um, and this week we are looking in at Mark 5, 21, uh, starting in verse 21 this week, um, after Jesus uh, has an interaction with the demon-possessed man on the other side of the lake. He crosses back over um, and interacts with a woman who had had uh, bleeding for a long time, and then uh, parents that had a daughter who was uh, dead or asleep or different translations say different things. But either way, we'll be looking at the thread that connects the two stories and look at what we can learn and glean from those interactions with Jesus. So buckle up. It's a little bit of a longer lesson, a little bit of a longer a lesson type of series as we're walking verse by verse through Mark. Uh, but hope you guys can enjoy and get a lot out of it and uh, be blessed by it. God, we just thank you for tonight. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would just uh, bless this evening, uh, be honored by our worship. Uh, we just lift this song of praise up to you and pray that you would just meet us in this place, uh, fill up this room with this, your Holy Spirit, uh, and let us just um, be receptive to the message you have for us tonight. In your mind, we pray, Jesus. Amen. Yes. Thank you. 
and we're just um, so grateful um, for your love, um, just for your faithfulness, your goodness, your amazing grace that you show us every day. Lord, we're never too far gone, um, we're never far from your sight. And Lord, um, we just thank you so much for just blessing us with a relationship with you. Um, I pray that each and every one of us here tonight would um, just leave here refreshed and comforted by your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, that you would speak uh, clearly to each one of us, whether it be one nugget that we need to hang on to or the whole thing just speaks volumes into our lives. Lord, I pray that you would just be the central focus, that we would leave everything that's distracting us behind and focus on you. We love you, Lord. To your mind we pray. Amen. Last week, so he went over to the other side of the lake, had this experience with the demon-possessed man, and then now we're on the journey after he goes back to where he came from before. So we're in Mark 5.21 is where we're actually going to get started. So let's jump into it, all right? So when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jarius came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, a large crowd followed, and pressed around him. All right. So, like we talked about last week, went over to the other side, helped out this demon-possessed guy, comes back. So this is where he had actually taught about the people, if you guys remember. The people had crowded him so much, he had to get out on a boat to be able to teach to everybody. You guys remember that from like four weeks ago when we were talking about that? Um, so this is kind of where he's back returning to, right? Um, so again, we see people swarming Jesus. They're really excited. They want to be near him because obviously he does a lot of miracles for everybody, but also he's teaching them words of wisdom that they had never heard before. It was a, a miraculous thing that Jesus was doing, and people recognized that and were following him, right? Um, and obviously earlier um, in chapter 5, what we just talked about, there was a demon-possessed man who actually threw himself at Jesus' feet and also begged for mercy from him. He actually was begging Jesus, please do not cast us out of this area. These are the demons speaking to Jesus. There was a recognition of his authority, right? It's universal. Um, and this week um, is another man. A different person, different situation altogether, but again, falling at Jesus' feet, pleading with Jesus to help him, pleading for his intervention in his life. This is, I mean, it talks about him pleading earnestly. It sounds a lot like begging to me. I don't know. Um, but both are in need of the Lord's intervention, but in very different ways. Both could do nothing to change their situations, and both needed divine intervention to solve what was happening in their life. One was possessed by demons, and the other has a dying daughter. They can't save her. He can't cast the demons out of himself. But Jesus is able to do both and go to him. So Jesus goes to this guy. He follows him. He's like, okay. And then along the way is the interesting thing where even more stuff happens just on the journey to go heal some dying girl. So let's check this out. Mark 5, 25 is where we're starting in this part. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. 
Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So, bleeding woman touches Jesus. And obviously, out of faith, this woman just decides, I just got to get near him. I just got to touch him. There's this, this faith that drew her to this. And Jesus recognizes the difference between this specific woman touching her and the, all these other people crowding around him, just trying to get near Jesus, trying to get something from Jesus. There was a difference of this woman and all the other crowds that were all around him. That's why Jesus doesn't just stop for every person that touches him. There's obviously a magnificent thing that has happened here. But why? Why was she affected differently than the others? Why was she healed by touching him and other people seem to touch him and nothing happens? The others around him more than likely had been reaching out and touching Jesus, but Jesus stated that the differentiating factor was her faith. It was the faith that this woman had. It was the faith that she had in who he was. Not that she was special. There was nothing particularly special about this girl. It didn't say that she had anything going on in her life that was more or less worse or more or less better. It was, she was just a woman who had faith, who was desperate, and looked to Jesus. The difference is that she thought, if I could just touch his clothes. I think, imagine how desperate you have to be. This woman has nothing else. And all of her faith in this moment is, if I can just get near this person, if I can get near Jesus, this miracle worker, this man, I have faith that just being near him, touching him, will heal me. Then there's an interesting question of, why does it seem like this miracle is not a planned one? It seems like Jesus just walking along, and all of a sudden, like, he stops, and he's like, what was that? <laughs> right? It, it seems almost a little bit like unplanned, almost like what, what, is, what, what just happened, you know? Um, but it's interesting because um, at the time, the people of that time recognized Jesus as someone that was special, right? Not, even his disciples didn't fully understand who Jesus was. So whenever you calm the storm, the disciples got freaked out. They're like, dude, who the heck are you? Oh my gosh. And this is after he's already done a lot of healing and cast out demons and literally done all these other crazy things and then he stops the storm with a sentence and they're like oh my gosh so even the people closest to jesus didn't even fully understand his divinity they didn't understand exactly who he was until even after he died so a lot of people that didn't know him that personally like his disciples were also confused in that same way and many might call him a prophet many thought he might have been elijah come back elijah was also an old testament prophet but very known for a lot of his external miracles that would happen that would show a lot of uh, God's prophecy to the people. Um, but in people's eyes, the prophets of those times, the special people that actually had the Holy Spirit working in them directly at the time, they were known to be able to call upon the power of God, right? Elijah would cast bears to go like torment the children or kill the children <laughs> or even cause a famine to happen in the land. And Moses 
obviously in faith, all of these things were guided by the Holy Spirit. But they were known to be able to draw upon the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit worked through these people. Not necessarily they controlled it, but the Holy Spirit was moving through prophets. And so at the time, this woman could have very easily believed, hey, I don't know exactly who he is, but I feel like God's working in that guy. And at the very least, even if the woman didn't recognize that Jesus was God in the flesh, she recognized that God was moving in him in such a way that he was her only hope. He was the source that actually could heal her. Thus why Jesus didn't heal out of his own volition, seemingly, but God seemed to heal her because of the faith that she showed in this moment. Out of the faith that she had shown by just doing the last resort thing that she had of just getting near him and believing that by faith God would heal her. Then, obviously, we see after being healed, it says that she's fearful. She falls at his feet in absolute terror. Why is that? What the heck? <laughs> Why is she scared that all of a sudden I've been healed and then Jesus stops and is like, what the heck? Who healed me? Or, you know, who touched me? There's, she has this fear in this moment, but why? And it's important to note, for one, as a woman who had been suffering with this affliction of constant bleeding, that she was unable to interact with people um, in a normal way. She didn't get to have normal interactions with people because she was considered ceremonially unclean. She was seen as someone who you don't want to touch, you don't want to be around, and oftentimes people that were afflicted with this would be in isolation by themselves. And so to have her be outside of her isolation, to be in a crowd of other people, being ceremonially unclean, and not only that, touching somebody that other people view as holy or that God is working through that person. She might have been fearful in that moment that, man, I've, I've broken what everybody else has said I'm supposed to do. But out of desperation and out of faith that she had, she decided, even if I'm ceremonially unclean, maybe I can be made pure. Maybe I can find my healing that I've never been able to find in Jesus. There was a difference between how she was going about her life prior to that and up to that moment. And that's where a big step of that faith actually comes in. And reason number two, she might have also realized that she was healed and maybe thought Jesus would have been upset. She might have been like, man, I don't, Jesus didn't actually heal me by himself, or he didn't look at me and say, you are healed, or touch me of his own volition. And she might have thought that this was a big offense to Jesus as, as he stops and makes a scene about her being healed, right? It's, it's almost this terrifying moment of she's been in isolation, pushed off to the side, and now everyone's going to focus on her. She's the focal point of this holy man that just healed her. But the amazing thing is that Jesus isn't upset. He doesn't belittle her or berate her or put her down. He points out that, and to her and to everyone else in that moment, that you were healed not because you touched me, but because your faith that you expressed in doing so healed you. The faith that you had. It wasn't just physically touching me, but it was the difference of her faith in that moment that made the difference. Now, Let's not forget, Jesus is on the way to heal a dying girl, right? So this all just happened on a journey to go heal some other person. It was just a, a miraculous, cool moment in the middle of that. And along the way, things get even more interesting again. Mark 5.35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from around uh, from the house of Jarius, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing 
what they had said, Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After they put him, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand to he, by her hand and said to her, Talath, Talatha Kahum. <laughs> don't, know, don't know Hebrews. We're doing great. Um, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So this girl dies in everybody else's eyes. I was like, dude, this girl's dead. Don't even bother. Others had given up hope. The other people that were there, they just said, it's not worth it. Don't even bother. But the man and his wife are told, hey, what's the point? But, you know, it's interesting because Jesus calls this couple in that moment to just believe. He says, have faith. Don't leave it to other people to tell you what can and can't happen. Just believe. The people of the time were mourning as customary, but when Jesus offered them an alternate or an alternative, saying that she was asleep, they laughed at him. They thought he was being ridiculous. They didn't have a faith or a belief that he could do anything, that he could change the situation that was already there. They just looked at things as they were and said, well, that's how they're going to be. And he gave them a chance to be able to exercise their faith. But it was those that had the faith in Jesus' ability to heal this girl that actually got to stay and witness the very miracle that he had said he was going to come and do. He said, everybody but mom, dad, and the disciples that were with me, only the people that put their trust in Jesus actually got to be there and witness what he had done. And he raised her. Now, to be honest with you, there's different translations of like what happens, different passages. Some say that her, the spirit of the girl came back. The other two um, gospels that talk about this say that she was asleep and she woke up. I don't really know what that really means, to be honest with you. Um, but either way, it was a miraculous thing that the people there couldn't figure out. And pretty much everybody would have just given up hope on this little girl. Whatever was wrong with her, they couldn't fix it. So yet again, we find that there's a hopeless situation, whether it be the demon-possessed man, whether it be the woman who's had bleeding in her body for 12 years and no doctor can fix it and she's gone broke trying to, or parents that have a dying daughter. In all these instances, the people believed and had faith. And when they believed and had faith, they saw the Lord move and do miracles in their lives. And we see over and over and over again in the Bible and in life that faith precedes action. That faith precedes action. Faith in God is so integral to our lives as believers, guys. And without it, we rarely see God move. If, we're, if we don't have a faith that God's going to do anything, we're not probably going to see God do very much. And faith is actually the foundation of why we're here, right? I mean, we have a faith in Jesus. 
We are putting our trust in Him. We are believing in Him. So faith and trust in God is foundational to everything that we do and everything that we're even here for because we have a faith and a belief in Jesus, not in ourselves, but in what He can do. And once we have that faith, then we are able to live by faith and be able to say that, hey, you know what? God saved me, and I'm pretty sure that he knows how I'm supposed to live and how things are supposed to go. So I'm going to have faith and live out what God tells me to do. It's living by faith. It's living in submission, not thinking that you know what's best, but living in submission to God and his commands, realizing that he knows what's best and not me. That's living by our faith. It's surrendering my condition and my um, natural choices to be able to submit and live by God's commands, God's obeying, or um, God's, uh, yeah, living in obedience to Him. That's what I was trying to say. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, all of the people in these stories have situations that they can't fix, they can't do it themselves, but it's when they exercise their faith. This woman goes out of her way to find Jesus and touch him. It was a faith that led her into action. It was the faith that this um, man, Jarius, the synagogue leader, he went out to go and find Jesus. He could have stayed at the temple and prayed. The temple is the temple of God. He could have been there praying to God, asking for God's help. But what did he do? He goes to Jesus, God on earth. He may not have fully realized that, but he recognized that he had the power to do something that was impossible in his eyes, that nobody else could do. And it was their faith that led them to go seek out that. It was a faith in him that led them to do something about that and to be able to trust Jesus. And the beautiful thing is that whether our faith is big or small, God uses our faith. God uses our faith, whether it's big or small. Jesus actually says that the faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. I don't know about you. Who can move a mountain? Just uh, anybody? Nope. There you go. Maybe. There you go. Well, Jesus says if you have the faith that God can do it, he's going to do it. Why? Because when we have faith in God, even though we are powerless to do anything, when we trust God to do things in our lives for ourselves or for others, he does the impossible. He makes the impossible probable. God doesn't say, well, you need to have a faith level 11 to be able to have this miracle happen. He's not asking you to spend XP points to level up your faith in life. He says, what little faith you have, I'm going to use that to do amazing things, and I'm going to blow your mind. Because God doesn't wait for us to have this level of faith in order to get this level of miracle. He takes the smallest amount that we have and does amazing things with it. And oftentimes, you know, if we think, if I just have enough faith, or, you know, if I, if I do the right things, or if I live the right way, if I think, if you try and earn your way into something or getting God to do something, we're going about things wrong. Because it's not about having enough faith to see God do something, or doing the right things, and then we'll see God do what we want Him to do. But faith is it's a reliance on Him that reflects a trust and a dependence on Him, knowing that He'll make what needs to happen, happen. It's not 
trying to force God into what you want him to do, but it's surrendering your life to be able to say, God, I know you can and will do what's necessary and what's best for me. Faith is a surrendering, not a commanding of God. So if we think God isn't moving in my life, so I must have enough, must not have enough faith, we can get in a trap of trying to earn God's love and earn God's trust and earn God's faithfulness to us, which we can't earn any of those things. We already have it. When you put our faith in Jesus, we have everything we could ever need. We can't earn any more or any less of God's love and attention because he gives all that he can ever possibly give to us every day and every, every day and any time. <laughs> we should realize that you know, whether our level of faith is big or small, God can do amazing things. Now, does that mean that if we grow in our faith, God will do more for us? No. Does it mean that, hey, sometimes you see people that have big faith, big things happen in their life? Yes, that does happen. And if you look in the Bible, there is a correlation of people that had a lot of faith and God did big things. But that doesn't guarantee that's going to happen to every single one of us. That's not a universal thing that God promises to every single person. But God does call us still to have faith, big or small, to put all we have into him and trust him. But that's the beauty of a relationship with God, is that we may not know exactly what God is always doing or what he's going to do, but we do know that no matter what he does, it's going to be for our benefit. It's never going to be for the worse of us, but it's always going to be for the better. Because God doesn't desire evil for us, but to do good for us, especially for believers. When we put our faith in him, it says that for those that love him, he works together all things for good. And it's also important to note that our faith is not unfounded. Faith is not unfounded. So what do I mean by this? Well, oftentimes when you think of faith, you're just thinking, well, I'm just closing my eyes and taking a step and walking out and hopefully I don't hit a wall. <laughs> now, there's a part of our faith and no matter how you want to slice it and I'll tell you, like as, as the day is long, there is a point where you're going to have to just believe. There is no guaranteed every single, you're not going to get every single little step and see every little detail of what God's exactly going to do or how he did it. There's never going to be all the answers that you think you need in order to have a certifiably written out, this is how God does every single little thing. There is going to be a point where you have to trust. You have to take that step and hope that God's going to be there. But the beautiful thing is that he does show up all the time. And the thing is, like I said, faith is not unfounded because not only when we do exercise that faith, like maybe the bleeding woman or the parents of the dying girl, when you take that step of faith and we see God show up, those are moments where we can look back and say, man, God is listening. God is real. He has done something. He is doing something. He's, he's a part of my life. When you pray for somebody else in their life and they come back to you and they don't know you're praying about it, and all of a sudden they're like, hey, man, this happened in my life. It's really cool. And you're like, that's awesome. And you get to be like, Lord, thank you. That's awesome. You know? Or other times, like, you get to be able to share, like, moments of, like, when God's spoken to you and when you're reading the word. And all of a sudden, you're like, where did that come from? How did that, what, what, that, I've never seen that before. I've never heard that before. There's a, the, the Lord speaks to us. 
in a very personal way whenever we're in relationship with Him, seeking Him and asking Him to be the leader and guider of our life. So our faith is not unfounded. And the thing is, it may be you're praying for desires that you have, sinful desires to go away. It may be thoughts that you have about yourself or others that you're struggling with or even a specific sin that you're continuing to get tripped up in. But when we pray for God to do a work and a miracle in those areas of our life, and then after a while we see God do something about it, not of our own volition, but it's almost like, oh my gosh, I don't struggle with that anymore. Or, oh my gosh, today was a little bit easier with that. Those are small miracles. Those are small victories. That it may not be God moving a whole mountain and you're like, woo, that's great. But Him working and fixing the sin in our lives is more of a miracle than that mountain and being moved. Because He's changing our hearts and our desires and who we are into being more like Him. He's sanctifying us to be more like Christ. And sometimes God moves in massive ways, and other times we see, you know, Him out of nowhere just show up on the scene, and it's amazing. It was one example in my life of how it was like the most miraculous thing, and like I never saw it coming, and I wasn't even praying for it. Um, so as you guys know, um, my brother Mikey, he died. Um, actually, his anniversary of death is on Monday, so that's going to be kind of a heavy day for me, so next week's going to be a little bit of a heavy week for me. Um, but um, after, right after he died, uh, I went to Albuquerque for his funeral. And then a few weeks later, I left to go see Rachel. So Rachel was in college in Scotland. Um, and so I'm like wrecked, right? And so and my, my home church at the time, they were like, hey, like, go be with Rachel. Like, don't think about ministry. Like, just process your grief. Be with her. Let her comfort you. And it was like my first time going to Scotland. It was my first time going. I've been to Ireland, but I hadn't been to that part of the UK yet. Um, and I was actually going to be like in um, the town where her college was at too. So I got to like stay there and see like the campus and all this like cool coastline of Northern Scotland. It was an amazing experience. But while we were there on Sunday, we went to Rachel's church um, and we were there. And um, I remember, so her church is a little bit more um, charismatic or at least our home church was. But they, the pastor had come up right after worship, and he had said, hey, I feel like the Lord is telling me that there's somebody here um, that is in deep grief, um, that they've lost somebody very close to them, like a brother. Um, is there anybody here that it has lost their brother recently? Um, and obviously I'm standing, I've never been to this church before. Rachel didn't tell anybody about any of this. And to be honest with you guys, I was very skeptical. I was in this moment like, what did, who did Rachel talk to? You know, who did she tell? Because I, I genuinely did not believe it. And so, to be, and I, I regret this to this day. I've been thinking, when I was writing this sermon, I was thinking about, man, I should have done this. But um, I didn't go up. Because he said, hey, we just, I, you know, if anybody has that in their heart right now, if they're dealing with that, I'd like you to come forward. I would like to pray for you. Um, and I looked at Rachel, and I said, there's no way. There's no way. But God was using that church to bring me comfort in a way that I needed so badly. Um, and I didn't listen, and I regret that. But it was evidence that God was 
moving in a way, not just in me, but he was through the Holy Spirit, like the whole church is connected. And he was speaking to that church and that body of believers to comfort me in my time after I lost my brother. And it was one of the most surreal moments of my life. And it's one of the moments that like, I kind of forgot about because I was thinking about like, well, how has God even worked in my life? Like, how has he done this? Like, what has he done? And I've told you guys about different opportunities or different things that he's done. But that was one of the most like, oh my gosh, surreal moments where you see the Holy Spirit work in a way that you just never expected. I wasn't even praying to be comforted by this random church. I, I was never going to see any of these people ever again. And so I had no interest in really getting to know them, to be honest with you. But God used them in that moment, and he, and he didn't just let me sit as I was. The Holy Spirit moved in a way that I'd never expected. And for us as believers, when we put our faith in him, we get to see God do little and big things like that all the time. You may not be realizing that that's what he's doing, but he's working in big and small ways. So we can see that faith precedes action and that God uses our faith to do amazing things. Even the smallest amount of faith, God can do amazing, awesome things. And we don't have to just blindly believe with no evidence at all because we can see all that God has done both in my life and in the lives of others. Both in your life as you grow older and people around you, as you grow in your faith and you continue on in your faith, you're going to see like little bits that you can always look back to and cling to and appreciate and remind us of that. And we get to see amazing examples of how he moved not only in today's world, but also in the Bible. We look back at all the stories, and Hebrews has a whole chapter, like the, the Hall of Faith is what it's called, of a ton of people that like, this person had faith and did this, this person had faith and did this, this person had faith and did this. So our faith leads us into action, and it's not blind. And it's something that we can always hold on to, because God uses the, those amazing things. Just like he did for the bleeding woman, just like he did for the parents of the dying girl. So for us, let's take Jesus' advice and just believe. Let's pray. Father God, um, we're just so grateful for you. We're so grateful that um, you never just leave us as we are. Um, you never just say, ah, I'm done working in your life. Um, you're always seeking after us. You're always got something in the works for us, big or small. And Lord, we know that when we look to you and we ask and reach out for your help, you do all the more. You show up in an amazing way. Your hand is always outstretched, waiting, calling out to us, reminding us of your presence. So Lord, I, I pray that if any of us are struggling in times and feeling like, where are you? What are you doing? That we would take your advice, Jesus, and, and believe, remembering that you're always there. God, if any of us don't have that relationship with you today, if we haven't asked you for forgiveness of our sins, if we don't have you as our Lord and our Savior, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't miss out on that today, that we would just lay our lives down, all the things we've done, recognizing that we can't fix the sin in our life. I can't make myself better. But Lord, you can. You do. You have and you will. Lord, you're the healer. You're the redeemer. 
Lord, we have faith in you that you're going to do not only more, save more people and forgive more sin, but also that you're going to work and do amazing things in and through us as we look to you as our shepherd. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. And there you go, guys. That is week eight of our origin series. I hope you guys could be encouraged and get a lot out of it. And I hope you all can continue to grow your faith and your dependence on the Lord in various ways every day, whether it's big steps, small steps. Um, And I'm encouraged uh, to know and look forward to hearing about how God moves uh, in all of your guys' lives as you pursue Him more and more. So be blessed, and see you guys next time.